Hello, everybody. It is great to see you. Give yourselves a hand for being here. So good to see you. Those of you who are in this room or if you're in the living room or anywhere else you're watching in the world, uh, super, super excited uh, that you're here. I want to say hello to Elaine Wong for being online watching today. Let's give our online congregation a hand. So there is a longstanding tradition that has gone for centuries on a day like this where a leader would say, he is risen, and the people would respond with, he is risen indeed. You think you can do that? Okay, on the count of three, one, two, three, he is risen. Oh, man, that is happening all over the world on this day. Yeah. And we have been leading up to this day in a series that we have been calling One. It's an integrated spiritual journey through the Word of God we are taking with others all around the world as we have been going through the Gospel of Mark. And you can look here. These are all the different continents that have been participating in this. And it's been really, really fascinating. Uh, as we've kind of been talking about, there are six points of participation. This is what we've been doing. Uh, we've been praying for 47 days leading up to Easter. We've been listening to the Word of God in a Bible app uh, until we come to this day on Easter. We've been watching in watch groups uh, scattered all over our community, watching a film of the Gospel of Mark. We've been gathering here and listening to God's Word being taught through the Gospel of Mark. We've been inviting people, which is why more and more people keep showing up in this room. More and more people keep showing up online because God is at work in our midst. And then finally, we have been sponsoring I don't know if you guys remember this, but when we first started this, I let you know that 70% of all global people live in an oral culture, which means there are one billion people who do not have access to the Word of God in their native tongue. And so we are partnering with Faith Comes By Hearing to move the needle on that. And so uh, there, over here in a kind of a mountainous region of the Philippines on the uh, Zamboanga Uh, peninsula is this group of people, the Subanan people, and they need access to God's Word. And so, as you and I are investing and giving generously, we will have a share, and one day this Bible in audio form will be given to these people, and they will then have their own resurrection. And I'm excited about what God is doing with that. Yeah. So, You say, how do I get involved in that? Uh, this is really the last thing that you can do as a part of this whole campaign. Go to zarephath.org slash one, uh, click on sponsor, and then uh, choose the one campaign audio Bible, and then God will do the rest with that, okay? All right, let's jump into the passage. Uh, if you have a Bible with pages that turn or a screen that scrolls, go ahead and get to Mark chapter 16, Mark chapter 16, Matthew, Mark, second uh, a Bible of the, or, or a book of the New Testament, so you can get there. Then if you have the Zarephath app, highly recommend that you open that up because there's some Scripture in there, some notes that will help you uh, follow along with. Now, today's message is called Tremble. Now, we all have things that make us afraid, and there are many things that we share in common that we fear. Phobias, we often call them. And so I'm going to put some pictures up there. I want you to shout out from wherever you are the name of the phobia, okay? Are you, you with me? Give me a head nod. Yep, I got this, okay? Uh, here's the first one. What is this? Yeah, fear of heights. It's actually called 
Acrophobia. Acrophobia. Here's another one. Ooh. Yeah. What is that? It's called arachnophobia. It's the fear of spiders. Here's another one. Yeah. It's actually called glossophobia. It's the fear of public speaking, not the fear of microphones. Okay, just, just so we're clear. Um, it, here's another one. What's that called? It's called a fear of flying, also called aerophobia. These are all common fears that many of us share, but there are also some lesser known fears. Here, here's one of them. There's actually a name for this, and here's what it's called. It's called F. Biphobia. It's the fear of teenagers. And every parent in this room has this fear. We just know this. And if you have little ones, get ready because as they turn into adolescents, this fear is going to come upon you. Okay? Here, here's, here's another one. You're like, what in the world? Okay, here's what it is it's called arachibutyrophobia. It's the fear of peanut butter sticking to the roof of your mouth. Agonizing. Now, I don't, I don't fear any of these things, but you know what I feared when I was a kid? When I was a kid, uh, me and my buddies, we used to get together at night, and we would run around the neighborhood ringing doorbells. Anybody ever do that when they were younger? Yeah, it was a thing. For those of you young people in the room, you know, or watching online, you're like, that was a thing? Yes, that was a thing. We didn't have the internet, okay? So this is what we did. And, you know, what you would do, uh, you would go up, and you would see if somebody was home, you would ring their doorbell, then you would kind of run and hide, maybe in the bushes or around the house, then they would come out, open the door, look around, and you'd be snickering, they shut the door, and they'd go back inside, and then you'd go do it again, okay? So there was one particular night where uh, we went to this a buddy of ours' house, and we were just going to wear him out because we knew he was at home. So we rang the doorbell, and we went and hid. His dad came out, rang the doorbell. We did this five times, okay, probably pushing it about 15 times every time. So 75, you know, doorbell rings. And we thought it was the funniest, funniest thing. So the next day, um, the father came to my house. Now, why in the world he thought it was me, I have no idea. But nevertheless, he came to my house. My dad wasn't home, so my mom came to the door. I was kind of hiding behind the couch. And uh, he began to kind of explain what had happened the night before. And it turns out his wife was super sick and did not appreciate a bunch of hoodlums from the neighborhood ringing his doorbell. So he left. My mother shut the door. And then she came to me with these words that I always feared. Wait till your father gets home. Anybody? And the fear of waiting for what might happen was way worse than the fear of what actually happened. I just hated that. But on a more serious note, what makes you tremble? What's going on in your mind? What's going on in your life? Where are you running worst-case scenarios, contingency plans, or suffering sleepless nights? I mean, there's a lot in our world. There's a lot that our world currently offers us that can actually bring us to our knees. Corruption in politics and industry, economic instability, racial pain and injustice, 
assault on the unborn, Satan shoes? Or maybe you're trembling over the undiagnosed symptoms of your child, or you're being attacked on social media, or your spouse walked out on you, or now you've lost both of your parents. How do we deal with these fears? Uh, First off, not all fears are bad. Fears can be very, very human, and sometimes fears can be very, very holy. God designed us to have fears and to experience fear as a part of our survival instinct. This is why we should fear fire and hippos and slow internet and most of all, some assembly required. (laughs) But in all seriousness, I think one of the ways that we should deal with our fears, and, and stay with me on this, is this, choose a better fear. Tremble at something bigger. I want you to stare at this phrase, Jesus had been crucified and buried. Just look at that for a moment. Now, for you and I, we're a little bit removed from that. That's history. It's what we know. It's easy to be a little dispassionate about that. But for people that were living in that moment, they could not be dispassionate. There was no way they could not feel. There was no way they could not fear. This was the reality. Now, they had seen some pretty powerful invitations from Jesus, and we've been tracking with these as we've gone through the gospel of Mark. We said, they said, cheer up because Jesus is calling you. Find hope in the one who offers eternal life. Burst out of old paradigms of living. Embrace being chosen to be in the family of God. See Jesus for who He is and be changed by Him. Keep a new scorecard for what matters in life. And then dare to live with a view that Jesus is coming again. And all those things are great, but you can flush all that down because the one who made all these promises who performed all these miracles, the one who had offered all of this hope is dead. After everything they had heard, after everything they had seen, after everything they had experienced, all they had left now was their disappointment, their disillusionment, and so they were left trembling with fear. But something was about to change all that. Now, I remember a number of years ago when I went to Uganda with the Jesus film. The church I was serving, we had sponsored a, uh, a new language for a tribal people that were deep in a remote area of Uganda. And so we were debuting the film. They had never heard the story of God. They had probably never heard about Jesus. They had never heard of the God of the Bible. And so we're going to show them the story of Jesus. And as we're Uh, out in the field, and 800 people from this village are gathered around these sails that are like movie screens, and they're watching the film. When it came to the crucifixion, everybody started weeping and wailing and mourning, because why in the world would they be torturing this man who had done so much good, given so much hope, loved people so well, and they just had kind of lost it? because they didn't know how the story ended. 
And then the film continues, and they see Jesus coming out of the grave, and he's alive, and they absolutely lost their minds. I mean, they were cheering, they were screaming, they were rejoicing, because they'd never heard this before. They'd never seen this before. And not only did they lose their minds, they were embraced by the love of God so profoundly in their hearts that the entire village responded, and they became followers of Jesus in that moment because Jesus wasn't dead. He was alive. That's exactly where we find ourselves today in this text. This is exactly what happened to some women who went to the grave, and all they had in their minds was that their Lord, their Savior, their Messiah, their hope was dead and buried, and they were just going to go anoint His body because it's over. This is how Mark describes it. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered into the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in white robes sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him, but go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Now watch. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. But it was a new kind of afraid. It was a good kind of fear. It was the right kind of fear because they trembled at an empty tomb. They trembled at an empty tomb. The fear over the crucifixion was suddenly eclipsed by the trembling, earth-shattering reality of the resurrection. They chose a better fear. And the reason that it's really important to talk about this better fear, I don't say, hey, don't have fears at all. I don't want to dismiss those or trivialize those things, but rather to right-size them, to see our fears in perspective. This is what Jesus is talking about. I mean, here's the deal. Fear in and of itself is not the problem. I think the problem is that oftentimes we fear the wrong things and we don't fear the right thing. Jesus is very clear about this, and I want you to buckle up because this is a hard one. He actually says, I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after your body has been killed, has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Whoa. Man, Jesus is cutting it straight. He's not talking about puppies and rainbows and unicorns. No, 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 no. He's like, I, I need to tell you this. And it seems kind of harsh, doesn't it? 
And especially if you're not a follower of Jesus, you're exploring faith. And it's easy for you right now to hear something like that and just kind of write it all off and go, I knew it. It's all about judgment with you Christians. No, you'd be wrong. You would be wrong. Because this statement is not coming from some God who's angry, sitting on a throne, who's dispassionate, disconnected, unconcerned about your fears, about your marriage, about your kids, about your finances, about your brokenness. Nope, no, 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 no. This is coming from a God who left that throne, came to earth, hung on a cross, and suffered and died for you and for me. So this is not coming from a place of judgment. It's actually coming from a place of love. And oftentimes, we have warnings in our life that are coming from love, but they're mistaken or misinterpreted. When our daughter, uh, Morgan, was about two years old, she was absolutely fearless. And she was also, um, let's say, independent, okay? So she kind of did what she wanted to do and is still a little bit like that today now that she's 25. But nevertheless, uh, Donita and I were in the kitchen and we had turned the stove on, and we had Morgan sitting up on the counter by the stove, which is probably not our best parenting move, but nevertheless, we did it, okay? And so we told her, Morgan, don't touch this because it's hot. It will, it will burn you. You know what she did? She looked at us right in the face and then put her hand right on the burner, and it burned her. But did she do it again? No, she never did that again. And parents are always doing things like that. We're always trying to warn our children for their good, but oftentimes as they are growing and getting older, especially in adolescence and in the teenage years, it feels like withholding or controlling when it's actually loving. This is exactly what Jesus is doing here. He says, do not mistake this warning for what it is and what it isn't. It's actually an act of love. You know what's crazy is, throughout the Bible, the number one command in all of the Bible was this, do not fear. And yet, what Jesus is saying here now, not as only fear appropriate, not as only fear welcomed, in this case, fear is required. And I think what Jesus is getting at is our God is too small. You ever think about that? I mean, could it be that we've made our God too small, that we kind of reduced Him down to our own preferences, we've held Him captive by our own desires, we've cast Him in our own image, we've made Him like a genie, and he, He's just here to kind of serve us? But Jesus is saying, that would be a mistake. The living God cannot be contained in that way. He says, your God might be too small. He also says that our fear is too small. That our fear of God isn't big enough. He said, you have to have a fear of something that is bigger. You, you have to fear God in a healthy way because He is more powerful. He can do more to affect your life than Satan or COVID or cats or whatever else you don't like. I mean, could it be that we don't fear the living God like we should? And see, here's what happens. If we don't have a healthy fear of God, I mean a good healthy fear, a good healthy respect of God, here's what happens. 
we fear everything else. God is too small, and the fears are way too big because we don't fear the right thing. And, and, and track with me on this because here's, what's ha- here's what happens. We go down this rabbit hole because whenever we have a fear, that fear is given power in our lives. And left unattended, that power grows and that fear grows. And as that fear grows, it begins to have influence in our life around those fears, and we begin to orient our lives around our fears. Eventually, as it continues to grow, one of those fears actually becomes a little God to us because it is that thing that we fear more than anything else in the world. And when that fear becomes a little God, one of two things happen. One, that fear comes true. And then we realize we've given all the best of our emotion, all the best of our energy, all the best of our spiritual efforts into that fear, but not to anything greater, grander, more beautiful, more hopeful, no resolve, nothing. And that leads people to despair. The second thing that happens is it doesn't actually materialize at all. But we spent so much time obsessing over something that was never going to come true, it became a colossal waste and a colossal disruption of all of our spiritual, emotional, and mental life. And what Jesus is saying is, choose a better fear. Does anybody see that kind of progression in their own life? You ever see yourself going down there? I mean, no wonder why we are so stressed out. No wonder why we are so fearful. But here's the good news. And and it's so interesting that these passages are stacked right on top of each other because he starts here talking about fearing God and hell and all that kind of stuff. And then right after that is this really, really tender moment. Here's what he says. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. You put these two things together, and you're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Didn't Jesus say, fear God? And then right after that, he said, don't be afraid? I don't get it. What Jesus is actually saying is, if you fear God, you can actually relax. Everybody just inhale and then exhale, right? (gasps) That's what he's saying. Hey, relax. And the reason you can relax because the one who is the all-powerful God of the universe, the one who does have the authority to put a person separated him for, for all of eternity, is actually good. And beyond that, he's actually love. God is intimately involved in your life. He cares about you so, so deeply. That's why He warns us. That's why He invites us. Get a hold of this. When we tremble at an empty tomb, every other fear gets put in its place. Everything lines up. You start up here with the biggest thing, and that is 
a healthy, appropriate fear of God, and everything falls into its appropriate place. Every other fear that keeps us away from God, every other fear that says God doesn't care about me, every other fear that pushes God aside, every other fear that traps us in our loneliness and isolation is eradicated, is right-sized when we have a proper view of our Heavenly Father. Everything changes. The empty tomb confirms that with God there is no rival, there is no equal, there is no one comparable to God, and the empty tomb confirms not only the power of God, but His deep love for us. That's what he's trying to communicate here. The empty tomb gives us this hope, and I want us to read this Scripture out loud together. Ready? Go. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Somebody ought to shout hallelujah on that one. Yeah. This is our hope. So in the midst of all of our pain, in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our real-world anguish, we can go back where we started from. We can, we can cry out where the, the, the blind beggar was when they said, hey, here's the deal. Cheer up on your feet. The risen one is calling you. By the way, I'm sure the women that went to the tomb on that Easter morning had their own fears. They feared for their children. Would they be okay? They feared for their husbands. Was that going to be okay? They, they feared that would their items sell in the market? They feared that when they went out of their houses that they might be abused by a Roman guard? Like us, very human, many of the same fears, suffering some of the same sleepless nights. But when they saw that stone rolled away, everything changed. When they poked their head inside, and they saw an angel, but no Jesus, everything changed. They chose a better fear. They trembled at something different. They trembled at an empty tomb, nothing else and no one else. And that's the difference. They were trembling, bewildered, and afraid, yes, before an empty tomb, not an empty life. The tomb was empty, their hearts were full. The tomb was empty, their life was full. That's what the resurrection does. But how about you? Is your God too small? Is your fear too small? Choose a better fear. Tremble at an empty tomb. Nothing else and no one else. And if you want more of God in your life, if your God is too small and you want to see Him grow bigger, if your fears are too small and you want to see a, a holy and a loving God empower you, move you, console you and carry you into eternity, you can have that. Cheer up 
because the risen one is calling you and me. He's saying, I can give you all of that. And if you're here today or you're watching online and you're a follower of Jesus, what it means for you and me to tremble before an empty tomb is a handful of different things. It means to let go of the little gods in our lives that have power over us. It means to stop grieving the Spirit of God by the way that we treat one another, to learn to love like Jesus loved. It means to fully surrender to the transforming work of the Spirit. It means to live in the power that emptied out the grave. Cheer up, follower of Jesus, because the risen one is calling you. But for those of you who have yet to believe you're not a follower of Jesus and you know it, Jesus is calling you. You need to know that. His love for you is so deep, so passionate. And as you stand before the empty tomb, tremble not just at the awesome power of the resurrection, but the awesome love that went to hell and back in order to bring you back into harmony with God. For you to tremble at the empty tomb is for you to um, get small enough to admit your need. For God. You don't have it all together. It's to get humble enough to acknowledge that you have sinned and that you stand naked before a holy God. It it means that you should get honest enough to acknowledge that you are powerless to do anything about your present or about your eternity. And it means for you to get desperate enough to reach out and to say to Jesus, Jesus, I give you my life. And maybe that's what you're wanting to do right now in this moment. You're just saying, I get all that. I know all that. I'm small enough. I'm humble enough. I'm desperate enough. I'm reaching out. On this resurrection day, I want a resurrection. Jesus, I give you my life. And if that is your hope, that is your prayer, if those are your words and you said that authentically from your heart, I want to welcome you to the family of God. Let's give a hand to everybody who made that decision. And if you did take that step, we want to help you with your next step. Go to zarephath.org slash my decision. Push that little button there. We're going to reach out to you to help you take your next step in following Jesus in the most full way possible. So today, we tremble at an empty tomb, nothing else and no one else. We don't tremble over what political power is in, uh, is in office right now. We tremble at the one who has all power over heaven and earth. We don't tremble at uh, shutdowns and, and pullbacks. We tremble at the one who pulled back the veil of heaven and came to earth and suffered and died for you and me. We, we tremble at the one who rose from the grave, who ascended on high and is sitting on the right hand of God, who is interceding for you and me right now in this very moment. We, we don't tremble at breaking news. We tremble at the one who was broken for us and offers us eternal life. 
We don't tremble at doomsday predictions. We tremble at the one who promises to make all things new. We tremble at an empty tomb, nothing else and no one else. So cheer up, get on your feet, and now I mean it, literally, get on your feet as we declare together with followers of Jesus all around the world, He is risen. He is risen. He is risen. He is risen. Father, we love you. Jesus, thank you that you rose from the grave. Holy Spirit, thank you that the power that raised Jesus from the grave is available to us. You are emptying out tombs every single day. Fill us with your power. Erase our fears. Help us to choose a better and a bigger fear. Invite us to continue to tremble at an empty tomb at nothing else and no one else. And we pray that in Jesus' name. And everybody shouted, amen. amen.